Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. practice sin is to sin consistently and as a way of life. It does not refer, again, to that understanding of committing an occasional sin. Still, that occasional sin is grievous to our Heavenly Father. Still, that occasional sin needs to be repented of. Still, that occasional sin, man, when John says, hey, if you do sin, you've got an advocate with the Father. But my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you don't sin. Wiersbe says it's it's clear that no Christian is sinless, but God expects a true believer to sin less, not to sin habitually. Today, Pastor David discusses the difference between living a life of sin versus living a life that isn't entirely sinless. We're all sinners. There's no beating around that fact. However, is your sin a way of life for you, or is your sin something you continue to fight against even when you slip up? Pastor David makes it a point to differentiate between these. He wants you to know that although none of us are sinless, we can all sin less. So go to God with a heart of repentance and ask Him to help you with your sins. Now here's Pastor David in the book of 1 John chapter 2 as he continues his message, Getting Serious About Our Commitment. Parents, how about it when the kids come in and you walk into their room to catch them and something, and they're over there cleaning up their room? You know, say, well, I'll be back again. I'll catch in something. No, no, it would blow you away, wouldn't it? You'd wonder, are they sick or whatever it is? But when Jesus comes, that he would find us faithful, find us busy about our Father's work. Verse 29 says, if you know that he is righteous, then you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Now, understand in the context of the gospel, in the context even of what John writes here, it doesn't mean that if Aunt Agatha goes and does a good deed, that suddenly now she's a Christian. No, we don't become believers that way. We don't become part of God's household that way. That's not what John is saying. What he is saying, in essence, is, again... If we are born of him, we will practice righteousness. That is, that's the very DNA of who we should be. If we are born again by the Spirit of God, then our spirit ought to be leading us to practice acts of righteousness. Now he moves on into chapter 3. And I know that we covered this a couple of weeks ago, but I just want to, again, kind of lay the foundation. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. I mean, that ought to blow us away, that we should be called children of God. The one who knows us best, the one who has known us even before we were created and formed in our mother's womb, the one who knows what we did, you know, five years ago at that, you know, that, you know, that situation. Yeah, he knows that. He knows all about that. And yet, he says that you are my child. 
Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, what does it say there? We shall be like him. Not that we're going to become little gods. No, that's a, that's a Mormon doctrine. No, not that. No, again, man, we're going to be able to shed this carcass of, of wickedness. We're going to be able to shed completely this nature of sin. When we are with him, then no longer do we have our sin nature. We shall be like him, and we're going to be able to see him as he is. And then John tells us in verse 3, Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. What's he saying there? If I have that hope that Jesus is coming soon, soon and very soon, if I really believe that, and if I really understand the greatness of his love, and if I keep, again, my mind set on those things, the greatness of his love for me, that he's coming again very soon. Mom and dad's going to open that door really quick. I want to be doing the right thing when they come in. I don't want to be messing up. That's what John says. When, again, Jesus comes again, will he find you messing up or will he find you obedient to him? Now everybody's feeling all warm and fuzzy and good, and John moves on then into verse 4. Here's where it gets tough. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. So whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. I don't know about you, but when on the surface I look at that and I say, man, that's some difficult stuff. Let me go on and then we'll come back at this. Verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. But he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Oh my goodness. We look at that and we wonder, man, how in the world can I ever live up to that? At first glance, it would appear absolutely hopeless. But first, let's get a better look, actually, of what John is saying and what John is not saying. So I pull from some of those that, again, are much better in the languages, much better in, again, uh, the depth of the study. One of those guys is a, a commentator by the name of Albert Barnes to kind of pull some of these words, the backgrounds, the Greeks, and the understanding of these words. Albert Barnes states this, he who is born again does not sin habitually. He's not a habitual sinner. So I don't know, I I keep sinning, I keep doing, but are you all the time, are you walking, are you living in sin continually? That's what he's speaking about. Barnes goes on. 
a true believer, if he's born again, if he does wrong, that's when he is overtaken by temptation. And the act is against the actual habitual inclination and the purpose of his soul. If I am born again because the Spirit of God abides in me, then Paul tells us in Romans 8, living in the Spirit, we walk in the Spirit. If I'm born again and the Spirit of God abides in me, then that Spirit of God abiding in me, then he's going to urge me to walk in obedience. And when temptation comes, and I start playing with that temptation, and just as James tells us, man, starts out as a temptation, man, and then it goes to sin, then it brings death. Again, we start playing with these things. Then even as a born-again believer, I'm going to get myself into sin. Well, what do I do about that at that point in time? Barnes says that if man sins habitually, if he's just continually walking in sin and it's not bothering him, there, there, there's no grief in his spirit, there's no heart of repentance, then Barnes says, and I have to agree with him in accordance with God's word, that most likely that individual, that man or that woman, has never been renewed, has never truly been born again. Now, many of you know my testimony. I've shared it a couple of times, at least lightly, over the, the last several years. For three and a half years, I walked away from the Lord. I, I did everything I could, you know, in the world because I was, I was frustrated. I was mad at God. Can you imagine? I was mad at God. Uh, I know none of you have ever been there. But uh, for three and a half years, I walked away. And I sh- shared, man, I did everything I could to destroy my marriage, my life, my walk in the Lord and everything. But yet the Spirit of God kind of had me on a hook. He let me play out, and he'd reel me in. He'd let me play out, and he'd reel me in. For about three and a half years, that went on until finally the Spirit of God just overwhelmed me. I still get emotional when I think about that. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. Barnes also says that he who is born again does not do wrong. Catch this, and I'll explain in a moment deliberately and of design. Now, some of you might say, well, I don't know. You know, a couple of weeks ago, if you're truly born again, the Holy Spirit within you is driving you to live your life right. If you're truly born again, the Spirit of God will cause you to not willfully and deliberately be a sinner. If a man deliberately and intentionally does wrong, in an extended period of time, in a deliberate, purposeful time. Oh, I knew I was doing wrong. I And fearful on one hand that because I believed in the coming rapture of the church, on one hand I was fearful that the Lord would come during that time. And on the other hand, you know, I was just I was mad and going my way. But he says, for that individual that lives that way, he is showing, he is living that he's not actuated or, or driven by the Spirit of God. Now, that's absolutely true. Not driven by the Spirit of Christ, because during that time I wasn't. I was driven by the flesh. It's true that when one does wrong and commits sin, there is a momentary assent, in other words, an agreement with my will. I want to do my will. I'm not praying during that time, thy will be done. No, I'm looking at the mirror and saying, thy will be done. 
We come to that point then, again, it is under the influence of, as, as Barnes says here, passion or excitement or temptation or provocation, and it's not as a result of a deliberate plan or purpose of the soul. No, it's a plan and purpose of the flesh. We, we look at this and we understand that when our flesh takes over, a man continually, deliberately, intentionally doing the wrong thing, then there's a good chance that he's not even a believer. And if this were all that is understood by perfection, just doing the right thing, then there'd be many who feel that they're perfect. There's many, very many Christians Barnes says there's many who cannot recollect an instance for maybe for many years in which they have intentionally and deliberately done a wrong thing. I'm not talking about, oh, stumbled, man, suddenly something came up and and it caught me off guard. No, he's talking about deliberately. Some of you here, man, you've lived your life to the glory of God, not that you're sinless, but you have not intentionally done the wrong thing. And yet Barnes goes on to say, yet these very Christians, they're the ones who see much corruption in their own hearts, and that's the thing that makes them mourn, and against which they earnestly strive in comparing themselves to, again, that perfect law, that perfect standard of God, the desire of our Father, be holy even as I'm holy. So the closer we get to that, guess what? The greater our grief is that we're not doing that. You see, when I'm far from it, ah, I stumbled again. Ah, ah, let that thought go in my mind for a while. Oh, I said those things, they'll get over it. But the closer I am to the standard, the greater the grief in my heart when I've injured my father, when I've sinned against my father. Charles Spurgeon says, in reference to this chapter in John here, he says, we understand by this Not that believers are perfectly free from sinning, but that they do not habitually, willingly, and openly as an unregenerate would. Their lives, the believers' lives, are holy, and when faults occur, they grieve over them. The river of their lives run toward righteousness. And though there are eddies in it, these do not affect the main current. You understand what he's saying? Spurgeon is saying, man, our, our life is running toward the prize of that high call of God, just as Paul says. And sometimes, man, we take a little detour, but man, we, 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 we quickly get back on, we get back on. Suddenly there's a sandbar in our way, and we're stumbled up over that sandbar, but then we make our way, we get back into the main core of stuff. Again, If truly we are born again, that's our heart. That's our desire. Am I going to stumble? Yes, but I don't want to stumble. And when I do stumble, I don't want to stay in that stumbling. Warren Wiersbe kind of helps explain it. He says, what the Greek text really says is, no one who abides in him practices sin. No one who practices sin has actually seen him or knows him. That's chapter 3, verse 6. Then down in verse 9, Wiersbe says, No one who is born of God practices sin. He cannot practice sin because he is born of God. And then he goes on to explain, To practice sin is to sin consistently and as a way of life. 
it does not refer, again, to that understanding of committing an occasional sin. Still, that occasional sin is grievous to our Heavenly Father. Still, that occasional sin needs to be repented of. Still, that occasional sin, man, when John says, hey, if you do sin, you've got an advocate with the Father. But my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you don't sin. Wiersbe says it's, it's clear that no Christian is sinless, but God expects a true believer to sin less, not to sin habitually. It's like the guy said, well, I don't sin anymore. Really? Are you sinning any less, though? <laughs> Last one, John Stott writes, the present tense of the Greek verb implies a habit, a continuity, an unbroken sequence. The NIV has actually the right idea here when it translates these verbs, these phrases here, such as keeps on sinning or continues to sin or he cannot go on sinning. I believe the gist of what John is is telling us here in this passage is if we continually choose to walk in the flesh rather than in the spirit, there is great cause for concern in our lives as to whether or not we are truly a child of God or are we simply one who has tried out religion and we keep finding it empty and so we keep going back to the world. The difference between truly being born again, regenerate of heart, versus just trying to do the right thing in your own power. More often than not, for the one who appears to be Christian, and yet falls back into the world in a consistent and a continual manner, the case can very well be that he was never born again, that she never became a new creation, that the self had never truly been crucified with Christ, that they never came to the point of repentance and confession. And beloved, all of those things are needful as a part of our conversion experience. Say, oh, but pastor, I thought all we had to do is believe. Just believe. No, isn't that what the word says? No, even the devils believe, and at least they've got sense enough to tremble. You see, in our belief, in our faith, means that, man, I want to make a commitment of my life. I want, I want this old carcass, man, I want it in the back. I want it to die. I want to, I want to drive nails into the coffin. I want it to be dead. And the life that I now live, I live in Christ. I've been crucified in Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ living in me. As a matter of fact, John says that the lifestyle is actually the declaration of the status of our spiritual heritage, whether we are of God or of the devil. Look what he says in verse 10. John says, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are declared. They're made manifest. Manifest is just what I, uh, uh, the idea of when a ship hits the harbor, the captain of the ship would bring out and, 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 and surrender his manifest. This is what's on my ship. I want to declare everything that's on it. And so he says, in this kind of a thing, the children of God and the children of the devil are made known. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. And then he tags on that. Nor is he who does not love his brother. Now, wait a minute, he dealt with that earlier on in the first chapter. It's interesting how he goes back to that. Interesting how important that is in our lives. Our love one for another. 
Our relationship with brothers and sisters is so important. As a matter of fact, John says, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, neither is he who does not love his brother. And John is the same one that's writing that. Remember, he was, as one of the disciples, John was present when Jesus spoke the following words. As a matter of fact, it's only in John's gospel account where we hear these words from the Savior. In the upper room on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus told his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Yeah, but I don't like Simon. He's a zealot. I don't like Matthew. He's a tax collector. I don't like them because, man, they come from northern Galilee. I'm from southern Galilee. I don't like them because of that. No. Jesus says this is a command. Not a suggestion. This is a command. You love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And then he tells us why. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. You see how important that is, gang. That's why John is able to put this. If you don't practice righteousness, you're not of God. Oh, by the way, if you don't love your brother, you're not of God either. That's how important it is. It's not by Sunday school attendance. It's not by volunteering to help out in community service. It's only through the reality of our true love for one another that the fullness of the gospel message goes out. We don't find out in the word that it says, hey, if if you do really good in your Bible scripture memory, the world's going to know you're a Christian. It doesn't say that. Memorize the Bible. It's good for you. Study the word of God. Absolutely. Come to Sunday school. Absolutely. But the thing that the world looks at is how we treat each other. We're not of this world. But all together, we are actually supposed to be strangers of this world, strangers to the cultures of this world and to the ways of this world. Not so much that we're ignorant of them, but definitely that we are not partakers of them. Jesus prayed, Father, I, I, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but just keep them from the world. That whole heart and idea of being a part of the world. As such a thing. We need to rally around each other in encouragement and support. It's pretty easy for us to fall into the things of the world. Man, we're still immature in our walk with Christ. Oh, we're doing good in this area, maybe that area, but man, there's some areas in the world that just draws me back in. Some of you here that, man, we, we, we just have a struggle being consistent and being disciplined in our walk. And some of the others of you, we need to come along those individuals and say, hey, would you meet with me uh, every second Thursday for coffee or a soda or something? Man, let's just pray together. Let's read the word of God together. Let's just come together. Let me encourage you, particularly you who are spiritual, you who are growing in your life. You need to look around and you need to say, God, who would you have me encourage? You've been so good to me, God. And I'm not there yet. No, I don't count that I've already apprehended. This I do. I keep pressing forward. But you know what? I want to I bring somebody along with me. And even if it means an hour or two out of your week to bless and encourage somebody that's struggling in their walk, of how much value is that to the kingdom, guys? Pastor David has been studying three letters from the Apostle John here on The Open Word, aptly named 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. 
Each one reminds you who Jesus is, why you should follow him, and how that's accomplished. You can learn from these letters and grow in your faith just the same as the first readers did. And if you're new to the Bible and to Jesus, you can learn all about the man who can save you. Jesus is the Son of God who came to earth to die for your sins. He loves you more than you can comprehend, and He wants you to be free from what's holding you back. If you want to take that next step and begin a relationship with Jesus, we'd like you to know that here at The Open Word, we support you and we're praying for you. If you still have some questions, please give us a call at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. We'd also like to encourage you to find and begin regularly attending a church in your area. If you live in Casa Grande, we'd love for you to come visit us. Here's Pastor David with more information. Thanks, Chris. Yes, I'd love to meet you. So please come join us this weekend for a time of worship and Bible study here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can expect to meet some friendly people and learn more about your Savior. Directions and more info can be found at theopenword.com. Just click on the Calvary Chapel link at the bottom of the page. I'm excited to meet you. Thanks for tuning in today to The Open Word. Make us more.